You're listening to the Brewing Network. The Brewing Network is proud to present... Good morning, my Bruin brothers and sisters. I got my head checked. Did you hear that line? <laughs> yeah, you need your head checked. I think you do. I think you need your coffee this morning. I'm a little slow. Yeah, yeah, I think you're missing your coffee this morning. Well, I'm slow in general, but it's really slow. And your fascination with pens this morning is quite interesting. Yeah, I'm on I'm my third you. pen in five minutes. <laughs> Big pile of pens building up in front of them. Mm-hmm. Kind of weird. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm weird. I, I don't know how that would relate to mild as a style, but it has a, a flavor impact <laughs> of penness. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Um, <clears throat> no, Stop we're, there. Yeah, we're going to talk about mild today. And. Uh, <clears throat> Before we get to that, uh, we're gonna have been going through some listener email. Hey, good work. Each each. No, any hate mail? No, we don't get any hate mail. That's good. That's good news. Which is interesting. Yeah, I think you know the worst thing we got was I think one guy said, uh, uh, you know, the show's not quite as lively as like uh, the Sunday you know, show. lunch meat and stuff. <laughs> well, okay, thank good. you. Thanks. I guess I'll take that as a compliment. Uh, so, uh, listener email. <clears throat> First one uh, from John. Uh, hi, hi, Jamel. I keep meaning to ask you about DMS. DMS seems to be one of the less understood flavors aromas associated with beer. Some speak of DMS as a pleasant thing. You should leave, in quotes, you should leave some DMS in the beer to get that faint corn aspect. Others describe it as unpleasant, more cooked than corn. I think I know the flavor of Rome, but I'm not sure, and I'm not sure any of my clubmates do either. I think it's somewhat corn-like, but not really pleasant. More cooked than corn, as I said. What are your perceptions of DMS? Uh, corn? <laughs> yeah, you know, if you take a can uh, of canned corn, canned yellow corn. That's gross shit, too. Um, open the can, just pour the liquid out into a glass, smell that. You know, let it warm up a little bit and s- smell that and uh, take a taste of that. That is uh, more the flavor than corn. Not even cooked corn. Cooked corn can be pleasant, like corn on the cob. Mm. can be quite pleasant. But that canned corn, that, that juice it sits in, um, that that's considered like uh, DMS. Um, and, you know, it's not necessarily corn-like. It can be other vegetable kind of aromas. Mm. And I can't really think of uh, that any style that it's really expected to be in. You know, if, if it was missing from a style, it wouldn't be, like, dinged at all. Mm-hmm. I guess there might be some, you know, marriage of flavors, aromas, where some tiny amount might be okay. But generally, uh, DMS is not something you want in there. And, 
you know, the way to eliminate it is to give yourself a nice uh, vigorously uh, boil and, uh, yeah. you know, no no lid on it and all that. And uh, Well, what grain contributes TMS? The l- lightest kiln grains are okay. going to have more uh, SMM. Okay. which is the precursor to DMS, which gets converted to DMS. And so uh, Pilsner malts, uh, all the pale, they're su- they tend to be super pale, mm-hmm. and they tend to have a lot of SMM and make the most DMS, and that's why a lot of lagers will end up with a bit of DMS in them. Okay. And your wort chiller that you have, that gets rid of D- DMS, right? Because it chills well, quickly? Well, anytime the uh, wort temperature is over 140 degrees, you're mm-hmm. generating DMS. Hmm. Unless you boil it long enough to really... Convert all the SMM over, and then there's no more SMM. There's still something going on post boil chemically within the boil. Yeah, a- anytime you're over 140 degrees Fahrenheit, yeah. huh. which is uh, whatever Celsius. I don't know. <laughs> somebody, somebody else look it up okay. quick. Um, <clears throat> so uh, you want to chill your entire wort as rapidly as possible, which is why I do the Whirlpool wort chiller. And if you're curious about that, uh, www.mrmulti.com. And uh, uh, and why I don't use the counterflow chiller anymore because the hot wort sits there for a long time it makes a big difference in the uh, in the finished lagers, sure. especially like a Munich Hellas, things oh, like yeah. that. Um, a bit of DMS can be a real detraction. Right. So, yeah. uh, yep, uh, that's the way I go. All right. Uh, second email from Greg says, "Hi, Jamel. It's really funny. Everybody, you know, in the emails I chose, they all say hi, Jamel, which well, is well, it is a Jamil show." Yeah, but usually they say, hey, Pope, hey, Malty, hey, whatever, yeah. you know. Uh, Thanks for all your effort with the TBN. What an invaluable service you guys provide. The question I have for you is regarding the percent of volume I boil off. When I mash, I shoot for 8 gallons wort, knowing that in the 1 to 1 and... Uh, in the one to one and a quarter hour boil I do, I lose two gallons and end up with my desired six-gallon final wort volume. For what you have said on the shows, this is 25% boil off is too high. I always do a very vigorous, pronounced, of course, vigorous boil, and as I've been advised. Do you have any words of wisdom, Your Excellency? Thanks. Uh... The thing to keep in mind is that when we're talking about evaporation rate, we're talking about uh, by hour, okay. So hmm. it's the rate is the amount evaporated, the percent evaporated per hour. So if you're going to do a 90 minute boil, you don't take the evaporation percentage over 90 minutes. Right. You take uh, you know uh, two thirds of that, and that's your evaporation rate. So uh, you have to adjust for that. Hmm. The other thing is, yeah, it, it really depends a lot on the. Uh, shape and of the the boil kettle and uh, you know it, it, it's really a function of how much heat you're applying. Mm-hmm. If you have a kettle where you're applying a lot of heat and you're generating a lot of melanoidins in the in the boil kettle, uh, that's where the problem comes in. Mm-hmm. If you're using a very low heat and a gentle boil and it's a wide flat uh, kettle and you're getting a lot of evaporation without a lot of heat input. Um, then you could probably go to a higher evaporation rate, and it's really not a problem. You have to let your your taste be your guide. But what you're going to get with uh, too high an evaporation rate, where you know where you're really forming a lot of melanoids, you're put, applying a lot of heat, and there's proteins and uh, amino acids and uh, moisture and the sugars, you're going to generate the melanoidins. What you're going to get, it can be um, a maltiness that's or the melanoidin toastiness that uh, ends up. Too uh, 
almost biting. Mm. It's a, in a and some judges describe it as vegetal. I, I don't really see it that way, but it can become um, almost harsh. Mm. And if you're getting some of that, you might try backing down on the on the boil a little bit. It makes makes a pretty good difference. All right. Uh, third email we're going to do today. Uh, hi, Jamel. I love your show on the BN. I have become much more conscious of my yeast, pitching rate, oxygenation, and fermentation temps after listening. Uh, this is from Don, by the way. Uh, my beers have been coming out so much better. Thanks for sharing your knowledge. I have a question about beer I have in the works right now. I have a pseudo Meritzen in the primary right now that I did with Y Yeast uh, 1007. I am fermenting it at 60, and I was planning on cold conditioning it at around 35 to 40 Fahrenheit. My question is, if I was to do that, how long should I do it for? Also, will I have to repitch more yeast at bottling to do the long period of sub, due to the long period of sub-fermentation temps? Thanks for any help you can give me. Uh, you know, it's a tough question to answer. You know, how long do you lager beer? How long do you lager your beers, John? Six weeks. So, all of them are six weeks? Pretty or much. Four to six weeks. Is and the but you know, are you just doing that as a measure of time? Somebody well, told you to do that, or I don't do diacetylres. Uh-huh. So my beer's done after four weeks, but I mm-hmm. let it go an extra two weeks mm-hmm. so it can reabsorb diacetyl. Mm-hmm. And no diacetyl. Mm-hmm. That's it. And there's and, no rush with a lager. You know, I, I figure about putting. I want to put right. it away. Well, and uh, you know, my answer to Don was that it really depends on the beer. Now, it's going to depend on uh, how high a gravity the beer is to start with. It's going to depend on a lot of different factors, the temperature of fermentation, how much yeast, what kind of yeast, uh, how flocculent it is, uh, what temperature you're putting it at, a lot of different factors. And what you need to do is you go ahead and set it aside cold, let it sit there, and yes, the beer will change character over time, but one of the biggest changes is when the yeast finally completely drops out. And uh, what you need to do is taste the beer every couple of weeks. You know, let it sit for a month. Amen. You know, and uh, take a taste and let it, you know, sit for another two weeks, take a taste. Maybe every two weeks, take a taste and see how it's progressing. Mm-hmm. And at one point, you'll notice, uh, uh, you know, uh, a nice change to the beer. It really smooths out. It really, you know, uh, some of those weird flavors sometimes that you get in a lager drop out. Yeast and, bite. Uh, yeah, and the yeast bite, yeah. yeah. And uh, getting rid of those, uh, you know, so it really depends on what uh, the beer is brewing, and, right? and how it's progressing. So you really have to, you know, try it and see. Sounds like he's brewing a Cal Common at those temps. Yeah, he's using the uh, German, uh, that's the uh, German ale yeast from uh, Y yeast, I believe, the uh, 107. And that he's making like a uh, sounds like an alt beer maybe right if it's It'll a pseudo merits and it's pretty close to an alt beer right um, and he's fermenting at sixty so uh, yeah and an alt beer can use a, a period of conditioning and and actually a fairly long period of conditioning generally but uh, that is really something you have to you know taste the beer and a lot of the things that we talk about. We suggest you you taste the beer. Mm-hmm. Even the recipes that we do for the show, you need to uh, you know taste them and see for sure. You know as as it's going, and then say, okay, I need to adjust. That was a little too roasty based on the description. Right. I need to adjust it this way, or I need to do that. And you know your your palate and your your ability to uh, sense the the different uh, 
flavor and aroma compounds in the beer are really uh, you know critical to making great beer. Well, and if yeah. you can't do that, you, you know, get to see your beer change. You know, the day I keg my keg, I try it every day. Mm-hmm. You know, once one to pull the yeast off, but just to see how the malt changes mm-hmm. because as it becomes carbonated, the malt changes. Right, you know? right. Carbonation is a huge right. difference too. Right. That's one thing. Uh, to be wary of if you're lagering something and, you know, you're allowing the carbonation to climb up because you have it attached to, you know, uh, in a keg and you've got a like 15 PSI. CO2 hooked up and, yeah, it'll, it'll go from a nice smell of beer to kind of harsh and acidic mm-hmm. and you might try backing off on the CO2. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it can make, make a pretty big difference. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Well, all right. So that's the the feedback uh, email feedback. Uh, again, if you if you send in uh, email, uh, we answer all of them. It may take some time because we, we get like a couple hundred a week. Um, so that's a lot. Don't uh, you know? Don't despair if we don't get back to you in a in a few days. Um, you know, it just it just takes some time because uh, we also have like real jobs too. I look forward to the day when I get some really good email. You know. <laughs> Not what do you the, think? Uh, what do you think of this Singapore recipe? bang bang uh, yeah. emails? You get? <laughs> yeah, the Viagra ones, you know. <laughs> Viagra. <laughs> no. uh, yeah, Pe- yeah. People looking for some wisdom from Ooh. myself <laughs> on Viagra. <laughs> on Viagra, right? Oh yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> there you go. I'm sure you have plenty of wisdom oh, for yeah. them on Viagra. Uh, all right, so uh, mild. Mild is uh, you know perhaps one of the most uh, misunderstood. Uh, beers out there, I think. You know, a lot of amateur brewers don't want to ever brew something called mild. They go like, why would I want to brew something that's mild or, or, you know, ordinary bitter or anything that's ordinary or, you know, why would I brew anything that doesn't have, a, you know, the maximum amount of alcohol? Yeah. The question, I'm sure you get this oh, at yeah. the shop all the time is, how do I make more alcohol? How do I get more alcohol in it? You know, and they, you know, people want to pour in, you know, six pounds of corn sugar and, and end up with rocket fuel. <laughs> And I Literally. just don't think that's a pleasant drinking experience. Mm-hmm. You know, the right beer, you know, can be, but I think, you know, having a really flavorful, uh, rich, well-made beer that's, you know, in the 3% alcohol range between like, you know, uh, high twos to, uh, just below four. Wow. You could drink a couple of pints of that. And, you know, it's Should. like drinking one pint of the other. You could drink all day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, in England, you know, they're, they're session beers. You go right. in and you're, you're spending a few hours in the evening after right. work, uh, you know, at the local pub and, you know, you're not getting completely tanked. Right. And you're still able to talk. You're still able to have fun, play darts, things like that. And it's not so bad. And, you know, just because the alcohol is lower doesn't mean it doesn't have, uh, you know, a ton of flavor and taste. Mm. Now, mild beer 500 years ago, mm. what mild meant was the beer had not become s- sour yet. Mm. And now they, how long was the lifespan from the day they brewed it and served it? Well, you know, that, that depended. It, uh-huh. You know, everything had some contaminants in it, and they were using, uh, you know, wooden barrels and things like that or... Um, and they had, uh, you know, stale beer, and they had, uh, which had already turned sour, mm-hmm. and they had the mild, which hadn't turned sour, and they would blend them, uh, to balance the sweet and sour, mm. and, you know, make a more palatable beer, because right. the mild would be, you know, fairly sugary. Um, and, uh, so, over, over time, and this was, uh, like an 8% beer, mild was. Wow. 
you know, or, or more. So why the name mild? Because it hadn't turned sour. Oh, that's why. Okay. Yeah. Now, over time, due to taxes, some wars, you know, things like that. Uh, wars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wars causing shortage of grains, right. <laughs> uh, shortage of uh, heating fuel, and uh, taxation by the British government uh, on uh, the gravity of, of words. And it's caused the gravity to travel down over f- the past 500 years. Wow. To the point where mild is now, you know, 3.2 percent. And what's also uh, interesting is the perception of why mild is called mild is now mild means a not very hoppy beer. So it's it doesn't have uh, you know hot flavor or aroma. It is uh, you know it's balanced. Mm. It's not like a necessarily sweet beer. It's balanced, well balanced, and very drinkable. All the British beers tend to be. But uh, it has less hop character than, say, an ordinary bitter, which is around the same uh, size beer. Right. And gravity, right? Right. Okay. Uh, but this will have a, you know, instead of the hop character, think of this as having more of the grain character. Mm-hmm. So this is going to have uh, you know, some chocolate malt mm-hmm. and things like that in it to, to give you those interesting characters and make it a uh, interesting drinking experience without going to the hop. Right. It's uh, more but, malt. It's all yeah, malty. Right. Um, and you know, very close to balance, but uh, it's it's more uh, it's less about the hops, and uh, that's why today it's cons- you'd call it mild because of that. Although I think people call it mild just because it's called mild, mm-hmm. and that's just hanging around. It's it's very unfortunate that if you go to England today, going and finding a mild uh, Andrat somewhere there is not that easy. There's a few places where where you can still find it. Yeah, it's uh, it's really. They have brown uh, ales though, like on tap, don't they? Uh, yeah, not as much. I mean, everything's pretty much bitters and quarters. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. There's there's a no, nah, not really. Um, that's too bad. You know, uh, just depends. There's 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 a uh, there's a variety, but not nearly, not nearly as much as uh, I, I'd say. There's more variety here in the U.S. than anywhere else in the world. Wow, as far great. as uh, beer selection goes. Craft beer movement, man. Absolutely, oh, yeah. uh, you know, and if and uh, people talk about Belgium and you know variety there, I'd say the beer is far more diverse here in the U.S. Wow, that's great. So yeah. you know, the, those all Woo! tend to f- fit into a certain <laughs> certain categories, and you know, certain you know they're all different, but they're um, you know they're all tend to focus around certain types. Uh, generalities and here you get to everything. I mean, mm-hmm. just you just get wild differences in beers out here. So it's pretty cool about about the U.S. Uh, beer scene. Well, home brewing alone, I'm sure, has changed the country. Oh yeah, I think yeah. that's the the forerunner of the craft beer movement here is is the amateur uh, brewers have really pushed uh, a lot of creativity into into craft beer and brought back styles too. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Robust Porter was dead pretty much until the uh, U.S. Brewers brought it back. All right, we're going to take a uh, short break. If you're uh, listening live, you can uh, get in the chat room. Just click that chat now button on the uh, website or call in at one eight 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 four one beer. We'll be right back.
This is the Jamil Show. Oh yeah. So that, that coffee, even just the aroma of the oh. coffee, I could see kicking in and it got you fired up. That first sip of coffee, it's like like crack, like crack cookie. Or, yeah, okay, that works too. I was going to say like a really good orgasm, you know, it's boom! <laughs> this isn't lunch meat. That's good stuff, man. First you're into Viagra, now you're talking hey, Justin makes coffee a good orgasm. Java. Well done, Jay. Thanks, thanks, brother. Justin does what Java? Makes a good Java. Java. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. <clears throat> We're talking about mild. John's talking about Coffee. sexual things. I'm talking about uh, mild uh, style of being. Let's be Here. focused. Yes, please. Focus. Information. Okay. That's what people like about this show is information. Right, right. All right. So we're talking about uh, mild, and uh, you might have read uh, about uh, dark mild and pale mild. And pale mild is a, uh, quite a rarity, I would think, um, and maybe isn't really a mild. But if you, the traditional style of mild is 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 dark and has some roasty character to it. Not a lot, but uh, sometimes uh, comes across maybe as like tobacco or you know uh, coffee or chocolate. Uh, you know, various uh, dark like, dark flavors. Like that dark, like my coffee. Yeah, yeah. Really dark. Like That's coffee. a dark mild. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, they're they're dark. They're brown. You know, almost uh, the uh, and and that comes from the chocolate malt and kind of the difference between that and a pale mild. You'd pull out those roasted grains. You might add you know some other grains in there uh, to give it some more character. But uh, milds in general, uh, low uh, 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 malt aroma, no hop aroma, some little bit of fruitiness, roastiness, uh, uh, grainy, toasty. Biscuity things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, appearance, uh, you know, dark brown, uh, copper to mahogany. I think the BJCP says, uh, and <clears throat> you know, head retention is generally low, and you know, the, uh, on on most English beers because uh, of low carbonation. Flavor is you know, it's got some malty character, some uh, biscuity, toasty, roasty, uh, caramel. Uh, just about always uh, will have a caramel and always will have some sort of at least a, uh, a higher toasty kind of thing, if not roasty. And your fruitiness will be, you know, like a typical English ale yeast, but not over the top. Uh, it's going to have a, a light to medium body. It's not going to be very big body, very drinkable, uh, very quaffable. Um, you're going to have a, a beer that... Uh, you can drink several pints of wow. over time. This sounds very complex for a three percent beer. It is, and that's what makes it so good. Is you know you get all these flavors in there. Yeah, you know, all the flavors of a of a big beer, and and kind of the, the people go, well, I don't like you know non alcohol beers. Well, yeah, that's a non alcohol beer. <laughs> Once you get to about two percent alcohol, the whole issue of alcohol and the amount of alcohol. Uh, in there kind of goes away it's you know past that yeah you know when you when you get into the bigger alcohols yeah you can you can feel it and you get the warming and all that but if that's not something you need um you know two two and a half percent alcohol is plenty for flavor development and mouthfeel right and and it'll do everything you need right there so you don't have to have these these high alcohol beers um 
you know, mild mild can do it, uh, flavor and, uh, uh, you know, with just a couple of percent alcohol. So that's a great try. Mm-hmm. A good brewing friend of mine, uh, he, uh, he goes, no, I don't want to make a low alcohol beer. I don't like, I don't, I don't like milds, you know, they, and I said, look, 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 let's just, try you know, just trust me. So we made it like, you know, upper threes, you know, probably close to four, um, cause he was scared of anything like, like that. But I think it ended up in the upper threes, like 3.8. And, uh, we just put a lot of, uh, you know, caramel and, and, chocolate malts in there and he loved it because that is one of the best beers awesome. we ever made drank the whole keg down he's like yeah we got to make that again that you know that was fantastic probably drink it fast this style yeah and you can you know and he he uh is a professional uh, uh driver for a living okay and so he needs to be you know stone cold sober right. when he goes to work so he can't you know <laughs> So and he has uh, a mild for breakfast. He's okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, so uh, yeah, have a couple of miles before he hits the road. Now, uh, so he likes the fact that you know he can drink them and not, uh, you know, and in, in a couple hours later he's he's you know down to you know zero on his blood alcohol. Wow. Hmm. Uh, as far as uh, you know, the key I would say to making making a good mild is you know the yeast, uh, you know fermentation temperature and. Very important in making a mild is using that uh, an English uh, 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 pale ale malt, mm. and if you can get like a floor malted Marisotter or Golden Promise or uh, uh, you know one of those types of malts, and uh, they're a little darker in color, like two and a half uh, love on the uh, on those grains, and use those. It, it adds a lot of character. This very important English beers, and you know we tend to use them for American beers as well, American styles. But for English styles, you really have to have it, and especially on these smaller beers. If you don't have it, you're missing a lot of the character that really fills it out and makes it a good drinking experience. If you do an extract. Uh, I know more beer carries it, and I would be surprised if you couldn't find some other uh, vendors carrying it. Is a uh, English pale ale extract made right. from Maris Otter malts, right. and uh, I know you can get it at morebeer.com. Um, and that is an excellent way to make these. And, and until they they came out with that, you you really couldn't uh, do something like that. Mm. Do you have your recipe? I do. I want. I want to know your recipe. Did you? Did you want to see it? I want to see your recipe. Why? Thank you. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so for recipe, I go with about seventy-five percent of the pale malt, about seven and a half percent of a light chocolate malt. I like the pale chocolate. About two hundred Lovabond gives it some you know darker toasty flavors you can go regular chocolate malt that's still okay in this style if you don't have the pale chocolate malt and you can just exchange it out it'll, it'll have a different character but it'll be fine i do about uh seven and a half percent of that i do seven and a half percent of crystal 120 and it's important to get some crystal 120 into these uh english beers these lighter english beers and i use about 10 percent of uh crystal 60 it's a lot of crystal. Kind of bounce out. Yeah, it is. It's it's a fair amount for a five-gallon batch. You're talking about uh, a pound and a quarter of uh, crystals and a half a pound of the light chocolate and five pounds of the pale malt. Is that for some residual body to the beer because it's such a low yes. gravity? Yes, exactly. Oh, okay. Very good, John. Yeah, you're... you're I learned something. <laughs> no, uh, you, you, you know, the, uh, the sugars in the crystal malts, the bulk of them are not fermentable. 
And it's going to leave a lot of residuals in there, mm-hmm. residual flavor, sweetness, things like that. And in a small beer, you don't want this thing to ferment out completely. Yeah, You'd be in trouble. Can I sidetrack you for just a second? From uh, It's about the no. crystal. It's not totally off topic. I just heard some brewers this weekend uh, complaining about other brewers who use crystal to make up uh, body in their beer, saying uh-huh. that you should make it up, that there's other ways to do it, and that crystal gives a sort of a false sugary sweet flavor and... Yeah, I just I wondered what they were. T- what, what's your take on that? What's do you know that argument about using crystal? Well, yeah, I think that's uh, totally true. Now, but sometimes you want you want some sweetness there. Now, the higher mash temperature will give you uh, longer chain uh, uh, malt sugars, and you're going to get um, more body with that, and that's the way to get more body. Yet. In a beer like this, you're going to have some roasty notes, and you, which has a drying effect. It's a low-gravity uh, beer, so it's going to attenuate kind of far. So, again, you want to have some sweetness in there that's going to kind of balance everything out. So it's always a balancing act, and it's, it's kind of just one more color in the artist's palette, right? So... Uh, you know, you can have different types of red. Well, here's different types of, uh, sugars. Some that, you know, the long chain desterins really aren't that sweet, uh, but add a lot of body. And these, uh, caramel sugars are much more sweet and, uh, don't add, uh, you know, they add some body. Hmm. But, uh, you know, it's really for commercial brewers that can't change their mash temperature easily. You know, usually they, they have like a tank that holds water at a certain temperature and they just mix it in and, they don't really like to change the mash temperature because it's just it's just a, a pain for them. Hmm. So you know they tend to play around, and that's where things like uh, you know the carapils and all those you know uh, non-fermentable uh, uh, dextrin-building uh, malts come in hmm. to play, and they'll use those as well. Uh, and on the darker crystals, um, you know, there's a bunch of flavor as well components to those. So. They're kind of a, an important part. Especially the 120, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you get up to that 150, you can use 150 in here as well. You, you as use 120 as, a lot, don't you? Yeah, especially in the English beers. Yeah. You know, uh, it's a it's a common flavor. What do you like about it? Um, Just it tastes like the, some of the flavors that they have in the English beers. Okay. <laughs> I just know yeah, you it's got, it's got that. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a darker caramel flavor, like a like a... Uh, highly cooked uh, caramel. Mm, yummy. Um, as far as uh, you know, the base malt, you can use mild malt if you can find it. Mild malt tends to be a darker level bond, and uh, one of the things about that is uh, if you're going to do that, you need to adjust your other character grains accordingly. Otherwise, you end up with a little bit too too uh, intense a beer. I think. Uh, but you can experiment with the mild months. It's pretty hard to come by a lot of times, so uh, I don't really uh, focus on that. As far as hopping, you're going to have, uh, you know, one, uh, you may do a 90 minute boil, you're going to have one hop addition at 60 minutes. And, uh, that's it. You don't want any flavor, hop flavor. You'll still get some hop flavor through on this. And this is going to be in a five gallon batch. This is, uh, about three quarters of an ounce of, uh, hops. Uh, around uh, three and a half to four homebrew bittering units, and I use Kent Golding's exclusively. Oh yeah, English. And uh, 
in, in pellets, and uh, you know that one hop addition will carry you through. It's just enough to balance that sweetness of the crystal, the sweetness of the malt, uh, the, any residual sugars, things like that. Uh, mash temp around uh, 154. Again, my, my Sweet spot. favorite uh, mash temp. You know, if you're not getting enough body uh, in the in the finished beer, and the beer seems kind of thin, uh, ramp your mash temp up next time. Go to you know 156, 158, whatever it takes to to make it happen. If it's coming out, uh, if it's not uh, attenuating at all, and you're ending up with uh, like a 40% attenuation or whatever, then uh, Swing to the lower side, so drop down to like 152, and see how that works. And uh, generally, 154 is, is about right, and that's going to give you the the best balance. Again, you need to generate some alcohol for flavor development and uh, to carry the beer and make it seem uh, normal. But you don't want uh, so much that the thing dries out and ends up very thin and and watery, right. which will happen if you don't leave some residuals in there. Hmm. In order to do that. Uh, the thing to go with is, um, you know, your typical English ale yeast, where, well, and yeah. for men out as much sugar as like a cow ale yeast. Exactly. Right. They yeah, they don't attenuate nearly as as much. Uh, so your typical English ale yeast will attenuate. Uh, uh, well, some of them will attenuate more, uh, like the cow ale yeast. Cow ale yeast is, tends to be in the seventies, you know, mid seventies mm-hmm. in in attenuation low to upper 70s, and the English ale yeasts, uh, some of them will attenuate only, uh, you know, in the mid-upper 60s. Right. Some of them will do, you know, low 70s to mid-70s. I think the British yeast is about 74, 76. Yeah, yeah. some of them will do a little bit more. And all of them, you know, are temperature dependent dependent, and uh, yeast, uh, uh, wort sugar makeup dependent. Mm. But uh, you're going to want to pick something that won't, uh, you know, ferment as, as much. What's the final gravity that you're shooting for? Well, your starting gravity is going to be about uh, oh ten thirty five, ten thirty six, around in there. Mm-hmm. And your final gravity, you're going to want to try and uh, end up, well, you know, around ten uh, ten to ten twelve in there. Okay. So you want about uh you know a two thirds attenuation. You want about you know sixty some odd percent. Wow. So fairly low attenuation. And sweet still. Yeah. Some body to it. Won't be you know it won't be really sweet, but mm-hmm. it's not going to be bitter. Okay. You know it's not going to be heavily bitter. It's going to be balanced. Right. You want to you want to strike balance. And the reason you don't want it too sweet. And the reason you don't want it too bitter is you want something that's very drinkable. Mm-hmm. You want something where you can drink a you know a pint of it and then drink another pint of it and drink another pint of it and drink another pint of it. You know all day, mm-hmm. you know drinking a session beer where you can drink many 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 pints mm-hmm. and uh, not not have it overwhelm your palate, not have it uh, you know become so sweet where you drink a lot of sweet stuff and you know you don't you don't feel quite right yeah. you drink uh, a bunch too much bitter stuff and it tends to tire out your palate as well right. so you want something you can drink uh, a bunch of it's like a good camping beer or a ball game beer right drink all day right yeah a good, a good beer for while you're at work <laughs> right you're at you know, work <laughs> in the thermos at work yeah you know that it, it, perfect for that <laughs> yeah you know, where people People question whether, whether you're not quite right, <laughs> but they won't assume you're drunk right. either. 
Yeah. Like, oh, there's something wrong with that boy. That's why you're always relaxed, Jamil. Exactly. You're just carrying your shilling around or you're mild. I, I, I got the, the mild uh, the mild look to me. Yeah. <laughs> you betcha. You betcha. See, I would enter this as a shilling, too. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as an and Irish red as an and, Irish. A, and a uh, brown porter. and Internet as a 70 shilling. As an American pale ale. You've done it, haven't you? Uh no. Oh, no, I, I never had one. Um anyways, uh so where were we? We were talking about uh uh the various uh crystal malts and crystal malts residual and sugar. Uh, residual sugar. So yeah, as far as attenuation you wanna you wanna you know, have restraint on that. Okay. When we get back we're gonna talk about uh the the specific types of yeast you'd use and uh answer some more questions for listeners. Talking about mild, and we have uh, Brew Noob on the phone with a uh, question for us. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, how you doing? Brew-noob. Pretty good. So what's your question? Yeah, it's a little off topic, but it has to do with yeast. I know you were talking about yeast earlier. Uh-huh. And uh, it's about the Danstar uh, Nottingham yeast. Uh-huh. And I was doing some research on their site. They have the PDF thing and everything with all their tech information and stuff on there. And it says specifically to uh, rehydrate using sterilized water and make sure that you do not use wort or distilled water or um, reverse osmosis water. And I can understand this is still in the reverse osmosis, but I've always used wort in the past for dry yeast to rehydrate. I usually take a sample off about when it's about 75 degrees while I'm still chilling down the wort. And I pitch it in there, and it also says don't stir. And I've always stirred it up a little bit put a cover on top, let it proof while I finish uh, cycling it off to my uh, firm bucket, and I throw it in there. I've never had a problem. I'm just curious, am I just getting lucky, or is this going to be a problem in the future with me that I'm going to end up with a problem, or is this... Well, what, what, what uh, uh, you know, there's a ton of yeast in, in one of those packets, and so uh, what's happening is the yeast that survive are, are doing your ferment. And uh, so what happens when you uh, put the, the yeast in the liquid? Their 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 membranes are unable to control what what passes across their membranes when when uh, when they first get in there. The membranes are all dried out, and just anything can get through the cell. They're unable to regulate that, and that's why you don't want to use wort because uh, what will happen is uh, too, they get too much sugars and stuff in through the membrane, and it'll kill a certain number of cells. Same reason you don't want to use um, uh, deionized or um, reverse osmosis uh, water is it'll pull stuff out of the cell and kill the cells. So that's why they suggest using tap water. There's also, what, GoFirm or what is it for rehydrating dry yeast? Uh, GoFirm you could use, but it's more for wine. Well, it's for dry, dried yeast. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the idea is that you want to give them a, a good chance to uh, rehydrate properly without anything going in or out of the cell to damage them. 
And that's why they want you to use that. They also want you to use a specific temperature. The different yeasts are different. And uh, as far as stirring goes, I think, again, it tends to uh, uh, mess some of them up. I, I know they're very particular about uh, if you do it exactly as they suggest, you right. get close to, you get like 95% recovery mm-hmm. uh, from dry to, to uh, healthy cells. If you don't, it can be, you can get like half. Okay, so you're reducing your cell count, basically. Right, and you know you could you could pitch more yeast. The problem is then you got a bunch of dead yeast in the in the fermenter, and uh, one thing about dried yeast, especially uh, you know a lot of dead dried yeast, is that it can affect head retention and uh, the staling of the beer. Hmm. Uh, okay, that might be that might be why I'm having problems with my head retention on my beer. I'm it, not, I mean, I get a good carbonation, but I'm not getting. I'm, I mean, every now and then I get a, I do bottling, I get a nice head on one or two beers. But it seems like most of them is plenty of carbonation, but it doesn't hold a nice head on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, might be uh, what I'm could, could be could be part of it. So, generally, you want to rehydrate uh, in tap water. Okay. Uh, how about how about like how about bottled spring water? Uh, yeah, that should be fine. Okay. Although those aren't, one, those aren't those aren't sterile. Yeah. Um. How about um uh, when you're topping off with water? Say if I added like a half a gallon of water to top off my wort after it's boiled and everything. Uh huh. For um, how does that affect the SG reading? Does that actually make the SG reading higher a little bit or a little bit lower? Lower. A little bit lower? Right. Okay. So you, you top it off with the water, and water is going to read almost zero. Okay. should read zero. And, uh, uh, and then you mix it in, and it's going to cut it by, you know, uh, whatever percentage. You should be able okay. to mathematically uh, determine exactly what reading you'll get based off of... Uh, uh, just dividing out by uh, number of gallons. Okay. Well, I just want to say I'm not worthy, and maybe one day, 30 years from now, I'll be <laughs> somewhere near you, but appreciate all your information. Correct. Thanks Thanks Love for listening. Show. Thanks for calling in. Okay. Bye-bye. Appreciate it. Take care. That's a really good argument, though, about whether or not you want to hydrate yeast uh-huh. or just pitch it right into your fermenter. I'm. Yeah. I know, like with wine yeast, you can throw it in. You know? Yeah, the manufacturers, uh, most of them will tell you that you'll you get the optimum uh, rate by uh, rehydrating in water, tap water. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Almost all of them say that. Sure. So, And, you know, so the ones that say, oh, no, just pitch it right in, um, for their pro information, they right. talk about rehydrating. Right. And, and that's you know, is that warm like ninety degrees ninety five? Uh, it varies depending on strain and manufacturer. It's it's, it's usually between ninety five and one hundred and five or one hundred and eight, something like that. Mm. So it, it it just depends. But uh, the reason why is because they can't control uh, things going across their membrane when they're when they're coming back to life. So that's one of the reasons why. Sure. All right. So speaking of yeast, the kinds of yeast you need to use for this again are the low attenuating yeast. You can use any. Uh, English ale yeast as a low attenuator. You might try different ones from White Labs. I'm particularly fond of the WLP002 English ale. Uh, their British ale, the 05, is uh, good as well, as well as their uh, 17, which is the uh, Whitbread. And uh, from Y yeast, the 1968 London uh, ESB yeast, or the 1318 London Ale 3. Or they also have the Whitbread in the 1099. Uh, those are all excellent yeasts. My preference is for the uh, Y yeast 1968 or the White Labs uh, WLP002. If you're using dry yeast, uh, uh, Safale has a uh, uh, 04 yeast, which uh, does a pretty decent job. 
in any of these, you're going to want to ferment between 65 degrees Fahrenheit and 67 degrees Fahrenheit around there. So fairly cool. Uh, a 65 and 70 uh, is your range. Uh, you want to target around 67. And uh, it's, it's a fairly cool ferment. That will still produce the esters, but uh, attenuation will be fairly low using those yeasts at this temperature. And that's what you want. You want about 63, 66% attenuation, about two-thirds. It can be a little more. It can be a little less. Uh, but that will give you about the right amount of alcohol and will um, you know, result in uh, plenty of body. Balance. If you can finish out around you know, 10, 12, uh, you know, about three Play-Doh, mm. that's a, a nice... Uh, a nice range. So around 67 degrees Fahrenheit, 19 degrees uh, C, uh, get you get you just in there. Yeah, I've never had an English yeast get below 10 before. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, in bigger beers, it's much easier. Okay. And such so, something this small, you're only starting with uh, 10:36. Right. You know, uh, it, it really you end up uh, you know fermenting that out pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as carbonation, you want to carbonate very low. These are cast-conditioned ales, and if you carbonate too much, it will become harsh and dry. you got to carbonate low. So one and a half volumes, you know, if you're doing your uh, American Pale Ales at, uh, you know, two and a half volumes or something like that, you're going to want to use about half as much uh, uh, bottling sugar. Plus you can drink more. Yeah, yeah, nice you don't filling. want to fill up with gas, uh, fill yeah. up with beer instead. Right. So you carbonate them low, serve them a little bit warm. You know, you serve them around 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. Instead of serving your beers at, uh, you, you can, you know, keep all your beers at the same temperature in the, you know, in the 40s or whatever you're serving them at and let it warm up a little bit is, I guess, the, the thing. And why do you do that? It's like, oh, the English beers are warm. You know, 50 degrees is pr- still pretty cold. And um, the reason you do that is more of the flavors will come yeah. out. You get those roasties, you get the caramel, you get the esters, you get all that stuff that makes it a complex beer with a lot of flavor and a lot of interest. And, um, you know, that's why you want it a little bit warmer. I think it's definitely good to do on all beers mm-hmm. because... A good lager will taste good cold, mm-hmm. but when you let it warm up, 55, 60, you can taste some off flavors sometimes. Right. You know, you pick right. a little diastole here and there. Yep. So, yep. good learning experience. Right. Uh, and uh, sometimes you want those flavors, so yeah, a warmer, warmer beer will, will give you those flavors. All right, we had some uh, emailed in questions before uh, the show. I uh, emailed, uh, JJ emailed us uh, a week or two ago, and uh, he had a question about mash thickness. And uh, Dr. Scott, I guess he said, had said, uh, add more water initially to the mash so you don't sparge and uh, end up rinsing a bunch of tannins out. Uh, I think it really doesn't matter if you add the water at the beginning in the mash or you sparge with it. Either way, same amount of water. Really, if you're worried about tannins, add more grains, stop sparging earlier. Okay. Uh, control your pH. Uh, as long as your pH is low enough, mm-hmm. you really are not going to extract any tannins. Mm. Uh, really, really not an issue. So you got to adjust your water, your pH. Um, if you, um, one thing that does, af- one effect that a thick or thin mash does uh, affect is how fast the the grains will convert, and um, in so- to some extent, very small extent. Uh, the fermentability of the wort. So you get, you know, more, you know, the thicker mash will give you more, uh, you know, I uh, can't even remember now. It will give you less uh, uh, fermentability 
and uh, the thinner mash will give you more fermentable wort. So right. on these smaller beers, you tend to want to go a little thicker, but it really doesn't make that much of a difference. So, but uh, uh, you know that's why you wouldn't add you know all your your water in there early on. But um, I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference as far as uh, tannin extraction goes. If you agitate your mash and it's thin, won't that help convert? Encourage enzyme. You know, as as much as you try and piss it off, it's really not going to help. Really, okay. You can you can, you can yell at it. Yeah. You can call it names. <laughs> but it's as a, agitated as it gets. You get a better gonna... runoff though, don't you? With a th- with a thinner mash. Uh yeah. Well, you know, but it's really hard to get a stuck mash with such a with such a small small grain bill. That's true. But for uh, our yeah scale. yeah uh, you know conversion if you stir it that those things definitely have an effect. Okay. It's not huge. Right. But but it it does have an effect. If you're having trouble getting converted, you know, stirring or recirculation is great. Right. I, I recirculate. I like that a lot. Uh, you can control your temp, and uh, it also uh, helps uh, clarify things and get good conversion. And uh, what about mash temps? Should uh, we mash at really high temps, like 155, to try and get some good body? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I like 154, which is you know kind of a balancing act between getting almost completely dextrins and getting you know dry and fermentable. Uh, if 154 isn't working for you, try 155, 156. 150, mm-hmm. You can go up to 160 something, uh, so 162 or so, and uh, you know, get a really thick, uh, uh, a lot of dextrins, or you can go, uh, you know, again, it's it's a temperature guideline because each system is going to be different. Right. So you have to try and... Uh, know your system. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, so if all my recipes, when I say 154, turns out uh, too thick for you, uh, then you want to drop them down a little bit in uh, mash temp. Right. If they're turning out too thin, uh, kick it up. All right, then he asked about malt complexity. Should we throw in small amounts of everything? Uh, no, no. Uh, I don't think you should ever do that. I think every every grain you add, you should add for a specific purpose. I, I can think of one of the almost everything-looking recipes I do, which is the Scottish ale recipe mm-hmm. that uh, a lot of people have been uh, having great success with. It seems like, you know, it's a little bit of everything. It's not. It's Each thing was added for a very specific purpose and a very specific part of the flavor profile. And unless you are targeting doing something uh, specific with a grain, don't throw it in. Because mm-hmm. it just muddies the water. It makes it, you know, much more confusing. Well, you brew that beer a lot, so I'm sure you've brewed it so many times you know that you want to add something right. here and there. Exactly. And, uh, you know, the, that's what you got to do to dial in. For yeast pitching, he asks, uh, someone told him that for... British style ales, you want to under pitch in, in order to get more quote English character, um, or would you still recommend a starter? Um, of fruitness, you encouraging ester production? Yeah, well, yeah, but you know you're going to get plenty of uh, ester production anyways. You don't yeah. want over the top esters. Right. You don't want something that's you, know, you got a lot of fusel alcohols, and, you know, and really nasty, harsh esters and things like yeah. that. You, you just don't want that. You want uh, you want a balance to it, right? And so the the thing to do is to pitch a proper amount of yeast. You don't want to underpitch, but neither do you want to overpitch. Right. So you want to you want to get it in you can go for a for a 1038 beer or a 1036 beer. You can go one tube of White Labs or one XL Smack Pack of Y yeast into 5 gallons and it'll turn out just fine. Cool. Um but for you know, make cool, sure, Yeah, and make sure you give it plenty of oxygen, you know, and if the tubes are old or the smack pack is old, definitely make a starter. Mm-hmm. You know, get get the thing kicked up to, you know, uh, pitch there. But I wouldn't go, you know, like a 
people, you know, repitching on the entire yeast cake or, you know, uh, I wouldn't go with a half liter of uh, thick yeast slurry. Beer be done in a day. <laughs> yeah, and it's not going to taste right. Right. You know, you won't get the right ester production. You get other weird esters or, you know, mm. it's just, it's just not, and it's all taste yeasty and it's, it's not going to be the right kind of beer. Mm. It's very important to pitch, you know, just the right amount of, uh, of yeast. All I've right. Got a so, caller question too. Push Eject is on the phone. Wants to ask you something. Push, go ahead. Hey guys, what's happening? Hey, how's it going? Push. Good. The two brewcasters I didn't get to hang with last week. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Great. So, does the lower alcohol content of a mild affect how the how how the beer stores or ages over time? Well, you, you know that's an interesting question because I have um, you know early on. Uh, with uh, Scottish 60 shilling, I ran into that same question, and it wasn't so great after just like a month. I let it sit for, for a year, and it turned out fantastic. Wow. And if you're keeping your beers um, cold and stable, they'll last forever. As long as, you know, it was clean to start with, you had a good fermentation, and then you keep them, you know, around uh, 40 degrees or so. They'll, they'll they'll last years. I you know John knows I've got a ton of beers that five years yeah five years old and it's like you know uh, five years old yeah yeah it's like a three percent beer and tastes just fine you know there's no and I I can give them to you know lots of judges and they'll they say there's no uh, oxidation or aging going on with those but on the other hand I can have a beer that's uh, you know seven percent and it's a month old and you know, I did something wrong, and people are like, well, this thing uh, seems old and oxidized. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, there's something wrong with that. Oh, that's weird. I've never done that. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, alcohol plays a part, but, uh, you know, the, the the things that happen over time with alcohol, it's really uh, conversion to esters and uh, fruitiness and things like that that happen. Gotcha. And uh, I, I think those beers age just the same rate as the smaller beers. Mm-hmm. It's just that the changes are different, or they, they appear different. Uh, but they, they all age pretty much at the same rate. Gotcha. Okay, so the lower alcohol doesn't, it, it's not in some way less protected because of the lower alcohol content from some sort of infection. If you've got one, you've got one. If you don't, right. you don't. Yeah, it's the pH of the beer that really makes the difference on uh, uh, protecting against bacteria and things like that. And, uh, you know, the, even still, you know, it's great to go ahead and drink these up and, you know, brew them. You can, generally, they'll ferment out uh, within just a couple days, and you can keg them. And you can, you can brew this on, uh, you know, one Saturday and have it ready to drink the next Saturday. Oh, that's a good tip. You know, this, these are fast beers to do. You can, you can turn them around really quick. Yeah. So, Justin should be doing nothing but these, really. That's right. <laughs> that and Hefeweizens, if, awesome. dr- if I could drink them. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Push. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right, last couple quick questions from the the chat then. Uh, They wanted uh, any commercial examples. I think some people think that maybe Tetley's is a commercial example of this. Uh, No, I think the the Tetley's that we get out here is uh, like an ordinary bitter. Okay. Uh, And uh, so if you do have a commercial uh, example, and then also they want to know about, uh, this will be the last question, uh, uh, a mild on nitrogen. What do you think about that? Hmm. Uh, all right, commercial examples, BJCP list, Morehouse Black Cat, Highgate Mild, Brains Dark, Brain, uh, Banks Mild, Coach House Gunpowder Strong Mild, Gales Festival Mild, Woodford's Norfolk Nog, and Goose Island PMD Mild. Uh, Goose, Goose Island's Island. out of Chicago. Chicago, right? yeah, yeah, great place. Um, 
And then on nitrogen, sure, you could do it on nitrogen. You can do any beer on nitrogen. Uh, I like, you know, mild on cask. I like the ordinary bitters on cask. If you go over to England, uh, you go over to Britain and, uh, uh, it's just pretty, pretty much almost anywhere. Well, at least on, uh, on the island there, you can get, um, a lot of different, uh, beers on cask. Mm-hmm. And really, it's just fantastic. And they tend to just kick, they use the hand pump and, and just kind of kick up, uh, uh, what little carbonation is in there. Mm-hmm. And just, just delicious. Uh, as far as, uh, this, let's do a quick recap here. So, you're gonna do, um, uh, about five pounds of English pale malt, three quarter pound crystal 60, a half pound of crystal 120, half pound of uh, uh, pale chocolate. Use about uh, three quarter ounce of Kent Goldings and an English ale yeast that doesn't ferment uh, too much. Uh, mash temperature 154. If you're using extract, use the um, uh, English, English pale ale right. uh, extract. And should make a pretty good mile. The recipes, uh, go to uh, brewingnetwork.com, go to the Jamel page, scroll down to the bottom of the list of shows, and there's a link to the recipes. They're already up there before the show airs, so you can uh, kind of play along uh, with the show. Thanks for show, listening. Uh, Brew strong and uh, Brew I'll on. See, I'll see you uh, in a couple weeks, John. Yeah, what's our next show? Who knows? Belgian Pale Ale. Belgian the next Pale Ale. And next. following this will be a replay of last night. So if you had trouble tuning in, then you can catch the whole thing up next. Thanks Jamil for tuning Show in. The show has been a production of the Brewing Network. Please send questions for Jamil to jamil at thebrewingnetwork.com. The Jamil Show airs live every other Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Brewing Network.